Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 2%. No, I'm not telling you what my favorite milk is at the grocery store. I'm telling you what the playoff odds are for the Seahawks. According to 538, the projection website, they have the Seahawks at 2% right now. With a 3-8 and eight record, six games remaining on their schedule. Basically a 2% chance to run the table and get to 9-8 and eight on the season. Even Lloyd Christmas would tell you there might not be a chance to make the playoffs for the Seahawks this year. But Taylor Jacobs, when you look at this Seahawks team right now and, and where they are in their season, 3-8, and eight, obviously falling short of a lot of expectations this year, there is still opportunities for players to step forward. There are still opportunities for guys who have seen their production slip sort of recapture that magic. I mean, six games to go, and a, a good portion of these six games are not against great teams. You've got the Texans, the Bears, the Lions. On Sunday, you've got the 49ers, who I think have fallen short of expectations. When you look at this Seahawks team right now, who in your mind is is in most need of a solid finish to the season just for not only their confidence sake, but heading into the 2022 season. I think a couple would be uh, Dwayne Brown on the offensive side and Bobby Wagner on the defensive side. A couple of your leaders, a couple of your veterans. I think uh, those are the players that the people in the locker room look up to and look to in, in the tough times. So for me, if those guys are able to, you know, play through the adversity, rise to the occasion, albeit a, a next to impossible, if not impossible task, but to find reasons to play, to keep playing for each other in these final few games and, and reasons to go out there and compete and to understand that, you know, everyone's situation will be different and going into the off season, nothing is certain for anyone ever really. So to try and do it with this group and prove something to yourselves as you head into an off season that could result in a lot of turnover for some of the young guys, this could be a great learning process. And we've talked about it a lot with the Mariners in the past about how we know that they aren't going to win and they, they aren't going to make the playoffs, but can they be competitive? Can they show us something else other than just folding when the times get tough? So to me, would love to see those two guys, two of the captains, two of the veterans step up. And not that I think that they're playing poorly, but I think that if they elevate their games, it's sort of the uh, rising tide lifts all boats type of scenario. And then the rest will sort of follow their lead. What about you, Curtis? I like, Anyone? I stick like out? That you, yeah, I like that you brought up the, the Mariners and how they were able to kind of build a culture amongst so much losing over the last, you know, six years ever since Jerry DePoto and Scott service showed up on, uh, on the scene. And I'm not saying the Mariner or I'm not saying the Seahawks are, are anywhere close to that level of losing. I mean, this is just, this is their first likely losing season since 2011. Now, how do you keep this culture going when you are not winning? That's going to be very tough for the Seahawks to do here, but I think they have the leadership in place to keep it going now, whether or not that leadership wants to continue on the same footpath, that remains to be seen. But I, I think for me, a, a player that I think needs a strong finish to the season is Bobby Wagner on the defensive side of the ball. I, he has been 
solid, but I don't know if he's been his spectacular self that we have seen from him over the course of his decade in the NFL. He's made, I think, eight straight All-Pro teams. I wonder if that streak is going to continue this season. Uh, He's looked good, but he has not really wowed. He has not really jumped off the stat sheet the way he has in, in years past. And there are still six games left, and you wonder... Heading into next season with the amount of money that the Seahawks could save by moving on from Bobby Wagner. Now, I I wonder if, if that is a possibility based off of the cap savings that Seattle would have. Now, they are going to have a big cap number as it is. I believe it's over $50 million heading into next season. They also have that $13 million that they did not spend at the trade deadline or in picking up Odell Beckham Jr. or anything like that. So that carries over to next season. I think Bobby could be somebody that the temperature might get brought up on here over the next six games. Like, hey, show us something. Show us you are not on the on the final legs of your career. And then, you know, also, I think Pete Carroll is somebody that I think needs a strong finish to the season because, boy, this year has not gone to plan. I, no one plans for a year like this after the decade that the Seahawks had. Like, no one could have even foreseen this happening to the level that it has now maybe some people saw a potential losing season happen but not to this degree and if Pete Carroll is about what he is you know where he is all about winning he is all about building the culture he's got to find a way to keep everything intact and make sure that he doesn't lose the locker room a and and b make sure that even in the midst of this losing that these guys continue to fight hard to the end. We have seen that time and time again. We saw that on Monday night. The Mar- or the uh, Seahawks nearly tied the game. They had an opportunity to with that two-point conversion that fell short. And then also the onside kick recovery that was whistled for a penalty. So I like that the Seahawks have been in all of these games. I don't like that they've lost all these games, but I think that speaks to a level of buy-in that most teams who are 3-8 and eight don't necessarily have. Yeah, and I mean, it it feels weird to say that, right? And you heard Matt Hasselback earlier um, on on the uh, the Matt Hasselback show on Wednesday talk about how moral victories aren't really a thing here in Seattle, right? The second most successful team in the past, you know, few decades behind only the Patriots. There are no moral victories in the in this town, especially with Pete and John and Russell all at the helm, right? You have all of those pieces. It should be good to go. But you're right, Curtis. You you look at the you look at the schedule. You look at some of the way the ball has bounced this season, if you will, the 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 metaphorical ball, and it uh, it hasn't gone the Seahawks' way. And look, in seasons prior, a lot of those games it went the Seahawks' way. Now. You can debate whether or not they they willed that into existence or whether it just sort of, again, like a football bounced into their hands that way. Um, there's definitely something different going on this season with the way that ball is bouncing. So we'll see what happens on Sunday if it will bounce in a better way.
Like I said, this is Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We appreciate you joining us. We're with you until 1 o'clock today. We'll keep an eye on all sorts of college football action going on as uh, it's conference championship weekend. We saw the Pac-12 championship game get decided last night. We'll keep you up to date on all that, plus a tremendous week of, of just news here in the Seattle sports world. Let's get into that now with the big three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it, the big one Sunday, a rivalry renewed, and while the San Francisco 49ers have plenty to play for, the Seattle Seahawks in a rare position to be playing mostly meaningless games over the next uh, final six weeks. Seahawks have lost three straight and six of seven since beating the Niners back in week four, which feels like 10 years ago to me. The only NFC team with a worse record is the Detroit Lions. And while the Seahawks haven't mathematically been eliminated, like Curtis said, the 2% chance there, get your milk out. It's really only a matter of time as they have to essentially win out and hope a lot of things were to fall into place uh, around them as well. Now Pete Carroll has no plans to rest the starters, including Russell Wilson, and Carroll still remaining optimistic about what this team can do the rest of this 2021 football year. What are the keys to victory against the 49ers? What will result from this game if they don't win? We'll dive deep into that matchup coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Number two. After plenty of nail-biting days and nights for Mariners fans, the Mariners themselves got busy with their 2022 roster construction the final few days leading up to that Major League Baseball lockout. The first move, adding former Pirates and Padres second baseman Adam Frazier, the 2021 All-Star, expected to be Seattle's opening day second baseman, while also doubling as an outfield option too, maybe giving Mitch Hanniger a night off or two in the outfield. Not a bad, uh, not a bad start to the additions but the big swing this week that would be getting 2021 american league cy young winner robbie ray the lefty he of the tight pants from the toronto blue jays as the mariners and ray agreed to a five-year 115 million dollar deal with an opt-out after year three in terms of average annual value ray is the third biggest deal ever signed by the mariners trailing the robinson cano contract and felix's second extension with the mariners There's still a decent amount of targets awaiting the M's following the lockout. The question is, when will that lockout end? We have no idea. We'll try and get into all of that coming up here in the 10 o'clock hour. Number three. Well, Washington announced on Monday it had hired coach Kalen DeBoer, who had spent the last two seasons coaching the Fresno State Bulldogs to lead the program on Montlake. The announcement was made in a video on UW's official Twitter account. Pardon me, a little stumble there. Showing Washington Athletic Director Jen Cohen traveling on down to California and DeBoer signing the contract at his home. Now on the other side of the state, Wazoo didn't have to get on any sort of plane or do anything into the offseason as their head coaching search was pretty fast as the Cougars agreed to remove the acting part of Jake Dickert's of Jake Dickert's title and make him the full head coach of the Washington State Cougars heading forward Dickert the 34th head coach in program history now did both teams make the right move? Are these good fits? We will discuss that coming up next here on the show. 
That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. How about the Kraken last night at Climate Pledge Arena? Getting that 4-3 victory over a very tough Edmonton Oilers team. Moving to 5-1-1 in their last seven games. And a lot of those seven games have come against the league's very best. Taylor, you were at Climate Pledge last night. Uh, What was the vibe there watching the Kraken uh, hang with one of the best teams in the Western Conference? I got to tell you, it was impressive to see in person. Look, when you see Connor McDavid out there, you're like, whoa, he stands out in a, in a, in a sea of, of big, strong people. He is standing out amongst them, which is crazy. And he's fast. Uh, his puck skills are incredible. And the fact that the, the Kraken were able to hang, the fact that for what the final minute 14 i think they were playing six on four um it was a great win and i i think this team is truly finding their identity that they can scrap out some of these games we were talking about it before we went on air curtis but this team might not be playoff ready yet but they're competing in a lot of these games and that's all you can ask for especially from a team in its first year so Good on the Kraken. Great to see the uh, the big W last night, and uh, hoping hoping for more here going forward. Absolutely, you lo- you love to see them rebound the way they have because the, in those seven games, those are the first seven following that seven three loss to the Blackhawks, which was just one of the worst efforts you could ever see from a team. Uh, and then look, they've rebounded, they've responded well, and and they're back amongst the uh, the fray in that Pacific Division race. So uh, good on the Kraken for getting it back uh, here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, some other honorable mentions before we get to break. The travels of Jake Hayner could potentially bring him back to Montlake, the former Husky quarterback, now former Fresno State quarterback. He's entered the transfer portal with everybody kind of pointing to him as a option for the Huskies. It looks like that could very well happen. Uh, as a few people have said that that's where he's leaning towards. Obviously, he has not made a, a decision yet, but when somebody like that enters the transfer portal just as their head coach takes a new job, you can kind of paint two and two, or you can kind of paint the picture there, painting two and two. That's a that's a Jakeism right there. Whoa, uh, whoa, easy Jake. <laughs> I know, I know. What what's happening to me here? But uh, those are some honorable mentions in the Seattle sports world. Just so much to get to this week. We're going to do our best here to get to it all over the next hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. But up next, the coaching carousel has stopped here in the state of Washington. Did the Cougs and Huskies make the right picks? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in this hour, what does the addition of Robbie Ray mean for the Mariners' 2022 plans? Heck of a start to their roster additions, but there's still left. Uh, there's still work to be done once the lockout ends. This is Seattle Sports Saturday. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. And if you were expecting to hear John Clayton before us today, uh, he had to run to the uh, hospital as his wife uh, needed to be taken there uh we obviously give our very best to the claytons uh we can't update you on anything right now we haven't heard anything but uh if we do we will pass that along to you but uh definitely keep your uh keep your thoughts and your prayers uh headed towards the claytons uh we love john we love pat so 
uh, we wish them the very best. So uh, we will, if we hear anything, we will pass that along to you. But uh, Taylor, a, a big weekend here in a big week here in the Seattle sports world. Uh, it, it's so weird how the hirings of the two football coaches at the at the university le- or the uh, FBS level. They weren't necessarily a footnote, but I feel like they were kind of on that second level uh, below the Robbie Ray signing, below the week that the Seahawks had. But here we are, the Cougs and the Huskies embarking on brand new eras of their programs. Kalen DeBoer taking over the Husky program. Jake Dickert getting promoted to full-time head coach after being the interim for about half a season. Taylor, let's start with the Cougs because obviously you follow the Cougs very closely, being an alum of Washington State. You look at the decision to promote Jake Dickert. Now, there were obviously bigger names available out there in the coaching carousel, but none of them coached the Cougs this season. None of them had the game experience, at least the recent experience, in front of the Cougs administration the way Jake Dickert had over the season's final five games. When you look at that decision to promote Dickert, do you think they got it right, or should there have been maybe a little more, uh, a little more, I guess, time taken before that hire was made? I'll be honest. At first, I thought the hire was emotional. I thought it was based a lot on the Apple Cup, which don't get me wrong, loved every moment of that Apple Cup this year, but. At first, that was sort of my first sort of knee-jerk reaction was, is this too quick to the Apple Cup? Is this just a response to that game, that one victory, again, against the UW team that was sort of beat up already, and Sam, his first start? I mean, no disrespect, but just a lot of circumstances still there for the dogs in that game. Still worth celebrating, but, you know, to a certain degree. But as we went further along in the week and we saw some of the comments from the players. We saw some of the videos coming out of Pat Chun announcing to the players that coach Dickert was going to get extended and their reaction, his daughter's reaction to just being able to stay in Pullman and have that consistency in their life and how it, it, you could feel his family's joy to be there and to know that they're going to be there for a little bit of time. Those are the things you can't put a price on, right? You can look for all the right people around the world and all the right coaches and that you can have all the wins in the world. But to me, some of those things off the field signaled that he is the right fit for the culture over there in Pullman. And I'm excited to see what he can do. He's still got a lot to prove. He's got to go out and get a good OC. He already signed the DC and the D line coach, but get a good offensive coordinator and recruit, recruit, recruit in the state of Washington. Battle the dogs and win in some of those in-state recruiting battles. Set up shop at Ford Sports Performance. Whatever it takes, you need to get a funnel of the in-state recruits going to Washington State. And if he can do that, this program will start to find long-term success. Maybe not national championships, but competing for Pac-12 North, Pac-12 championships, Rose Bowl bids, and maybe at one point later on a college football playoff, but I think it was the right hire to hire Coach Dickert. I mean, yeah, based off of the performance in the Apple Cup, it's hard to argue that Dickert was 
the wrong hire. Now, we still have not seen him have full total control of a program. We don't know what he's like as a recruiter. And you mentioned the offensive staff. That's going to be incredibly important because you have your starting quarterback right now in Jaden Delora. I would imagine based off of the hirings and the kind of offense that Dickert would want to run or, or chooses to run, that could have an influence on whether Delora is happy as the Cougs starting quarterback, or maybe he looks to go elsewhere. I would, I, for the sake of the Cougs football program, I would hope that it doesn't come to that. But as we know, the transfer portal being what it is, heck, we just saw Jake Hayner up and leave a good situation in Fresno State, likely to come to Washington and join Kalen DeBoer. So anything is possible with all these coaching hires and, and players now being able to transfer one time without penalty. Speaking of Kalen DeBoer and the Huskies, were you surprised that that was the name they settled on? Having basically a year and a half of head coaching experience at the Division One level, he was an offensive coordinator at Fresno State for a few years. He spent some time at Indiana as well. Uh, and everywhere he's gone, he's had an explosive offense. But I think before the coaching search started, Taylor, not many people outside of the Fresno area very familiar with Kalen DeBoer. Were you surprised that that was the name the Huskies settled on? A little bit, but at the same time, not at all, because it feels like the same people who are complaining about this hire, complaining about his lack of FBS um, experience, felt like those were the same people saying Chris Peterson only could win at Boise State, trick offenses, weak opponents, all of that. And to me, he's the best Washington coach of my adulthood. And my sports fandom, I didn't really see Don James. I'm not that old, but I was alive. I just wasn't that big of a dog fan at the time. I didn't really understand what head coaches were even doing probably back then. But the fact that uh, this hire, I think, is actually going to be a success for the dogs. And I know that UW has this expectation. The fans, on the other hand, pardon me, the fans have this expectation that they are the top program in the Pac-12. And that being the third best program in the Pac-12, which is what they are, is not good. But to me, being behind USC and Oregon in a national landscape isn't a bad place to be. And having a coach who's good at the X's and O's like Kalen DeBoer, I think, will come into UW and be successful at getting some of those players to buy into his system. The only thing I don't like is the Jake Hayner move. And with Sam Heward, you have a, a big-time, nationally ranked recruit. I know he didn't have a great Apple Cup, and, and that game aside, you know he still has a ton of potential. And to bring in Jake Hayner and to basically say you might not even be starting above this guy there's a lot of questions that might be asked on Montlake and for his first move to potentially be that, that's the only thing I question maybe in this, uh, Kalen DeBoer hiring coach DeBoer. Yeah, that's a really great point you bring up because boy, if you're Sam Heward, I can't imagine he was thrilled to sit behind Dylan Morris this season, especially based off of the performances that Morris put forth. Are you going to be okay sitting another season behind Jake Hayner when you are this recruit that, has all these expectations heaped upon you. And I think a lot of that has to do with the last name and obviously being a, a UW player. When you have the last name of Heward and you wear the purple and gold, 
there are expectations for you that are not on any other player on the roster. And so with that, I mean, I think DeBoer does run the risk of potentially losing out on the services of Sam Heward if if Jake Hayner is the kind of quarterback that he was at Fresno State. And I don't have any reason to believe he won't be because if he does come to UW, he'll be playing in a very familiar system, one that he thrived in this last season. So, I mean, there's a potential there. One thing I do love about the DeBoer hire that is different than, you know, maybe getting a coach that was fired elsewhere or, or getting a coach that, uh, you know, has previous big-time head coaching experience is that DeBoer's not a retread. This is not somebody that is looking for a second chance that has that, that failed elsewhere. He has had success everywhere he has gone. He has climbed the coaching ladder to this point and has not really ever taken a step back. You look at his numbers at Sioux Falls. Obviously, the NAIA level is completely different than the FBS level. He went 67-3 and there. He had success as Fresno State offensive coordinator. He had success at Indiana as their offensive coordinator. Indiana is not an easy place to win, and he helped uh, turn that program around. Uh, you know, Obviously, they fell back this season. Maybe that had to do with DeBoer no longer being there. Who knows? And then as head coach of Fresno State, they go 3-3 three and three in the COVID-shortened season last year, which how, how, how many results can you actually take from that year? But this year, 9-3. and three, they nearly beat Oregon at Autzen Stadium. I mean, they beat UCLA, too, at the Rose Bowl. Look, you could have done a lot worse than Kalen DeBoer. Right, yeah. It, it, look, dog fans, don't you want to be in those games? Don't you want to be competitive against Oregon and, and beating Chip Kelly and UCLA? And even though they've made that step forward, and, and that's what you want. And I know that they thought that they could go out and literally get any coach. It's not how it works. It's not where the program's at right now. And to be honest with you, I don't know if the program will ever get to that level without hiring guys like Kalen DeBoer to be your head coach. So to me, look, I'm not going to anoint him and say he's the next coming. But at the same time, I, I think it's a good hire. And I think both these schools are going to be pleased with what they got versus what we saw this past season where both schools were the opposite of pleased couple of new faces in town, Kalen DeBoer and Jake Dickert. How about another new face in town? Robbie Ray, the Mariners adding him this week. What does his addition to this roster mean for their 2022 plans? We talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Mac and Jack's text line is there for you, 206-4213-776. Make sure you're downloading the Seattle Sports Saturday podcast at 710sports.com. Also, all sorts of Mariner content this week as they were very busy. We've got interviews with Adam Frazier. You can check that out on the Jake and Stacy podcast. There's an interview with Robbie Ray on the Mike Salk Show. Also, Jerry DePoto stopped by prior to the lockout. I, I mean, if you wanted Mariner content this week, 710 Sports was the place to be. Uh, and, boy, it, it, the week got off uh, with a bang on Monday. During Jake and Stacy, Jake and myself, we were hosting. That's when the news happened. And, Taylor, my face, uh, <laughs> it got memed this week. It, did. Uh, it is. It has since changed uh, since that very move when the Mariners signed Robbie Ray. 
uh, look, I was stunned. I'll be honest. It was <laughs> it was not something that was expected because it had been so quiet on the Robbie Ray front. I don't know if anybody had anticipated him signing prior to the lockout, but lo and behold, he is now a Seattle Mariner, number 38, wearing some tight pants. He's going to be taking the mound every fifth day for the Mariners. Not bad when you add a Cy Young Award winner, and not just a, a Cy Young Award winner, the reigning Cy Young Award winner. This is not somebody that won one like seven, eight years ago. This is as fresh as it gets. Taylor, you look at the addition of Robbie Ray to the Mariners pitching staff. You've got Ray, Marco, Chris Flexen, Logan Gilbert. Not a bad f- top four to uh, take the ball every fifth day. Yeah, no, and and Curtis, I was there with you. Equally surprised with the Robbie Ray signing and scrambling to verify that it was actually a real source and not some sort of fake thing. I was like, please, please, please be real. Um, But yeah, those uh, 11.5 Ks per nine coming on to the Mariners staff, uh, you love to see it. And I I was stunned. I I honestly didn't think that they were going to go this direction. And I, I thought they would go for a veteran older type maybe not Ver, verlander scherzer like someone in the, of that ilk I, I thought that was where they would try and land their starting pitcher but to get a guy like robbie ray who's still going to have a lot of decent years of, of of his arm uh left in his career here in seattle and i mean with his war this year being almost four uh, you love seeing things like that again like with the with the other pitchers behind him as well. You know, the other pitchers even in the farm system coming up as well, who will be playing alongside him in years three, four, five from now. Right. Uh, it, it, it's exciting to see this team go out and spend some money and show the rest of the league that they're competitive in the free agency market. But I know you got memed. You've had some time to think about it, Curtis. What are now your reactions Having sat on it for five days, your face is settled. What do you think now? <laughs> I think I'm still just as just as happy about the signing five days later as I was back on Monday. I think this is a for everybody's going to look at the 115 million dollar price tag and be like, "Whoa, that's that's a lot of money." Well, first off, it's not my money. It's not your money. It's John Stanton's money. Like if he's willing to pay that for somebody, that's that's the that's his responsibility. That's none of ours. And look, I mean, Robbie Ray is a pitcher that even if he doesn't match that Cy Young level that he pitched at this last year, he's still a really good pitcher when he is uh, just having an average year. Look at his numbers with Arizona. His his ERA was always around three. He was among the league leaders in strikeouts. I believe he does have the highest strikeouts per nine innings in Major League history of any qualified starting pitcher, which is wild to think about when you got guys like Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan who you know are are your quintessential strikeout pitchers. Robbie Ray beats them on average, uh, and he beats everybody on average. I, I look at this Mariners rotation right now, and you, we mentioned those four guys, but if there's one thing we learned a year ago is that you can never have enough starting pitching, and that's even if guys like George Kirby and Emerson Hancock find their way to the major league level this, this year. Last year, we, we were going into the regular season with a six-man rotation. You had James Paxton in your rotation. You had Justice Sheffield there. Justin Dunn was another person in your rotation. Those three guys did not finish the season with you, or or in in Sheffield's case did, but was demoted to the bullpen. 
you enter a season with a six-man rotation, it's like, oh, we've got all this pitching depth. And Logan Gilbert hadn't even reached the big leagues at that point. Fast forward to game 162, and the rotation looked night and day different. They had to go and trade for Tyler Anderson. An addition like Robbie Ray sort of helps in that, or obviously helps in the pitching depth, but I don't think the Mariners should be done adding to the pitching, and obviously they still have things to add offensively. But I, and when I look at the pitching side of things, that fifth spot in the rotation still open. Could be Tyler Anderson, could be a, a number of people. It's not going to be Marcus Stroman who signed with the Cubs. That was unfortunate, as we saw Paul Sewald and J.P. Crawford uh, try to recruit him on social media. But looking at this team, I, I'm I'm very glad that they prioritized not just any starting pitcher, but a top-flight guy, a guy who can get you the big outs in the big innings and, and get you deeper into ball games and, and hand it over to that bullpen that was so great last year. Yeah, and again, the opt-out, let, let's not overlook that as well, the opt-out after three years. So you could potentially, you know, have that situation where he contributes for three years. And if you see the decline before then there is the opt out, but uh, for, and then he can also opt out if he pitches beyond control, right? If he's out of his mind and he wants to get back on the free agency market, it means that he's probably been pitching pretty well for you. And you might have some younger arms coming up that you want to cycle in there. You might want to resign him. You never know. So, uh, it's exciting to have a guy who's, you know, 30 years old. Again, you're going to get him from age 30 to 33 for starting pitchers. That's still in the good, the good age range. He's not a relief pitcher or a closer where you sort of see these up high years. And then a quick drop off. You've seen it with pretty much every Mariners closer we've traded recently, which has been fantastic. But uh, for me, again, like you mentioned, Curtis, to, to prioritize a player like this and not pro- have all your eggs in a, a Verlander basket on a one-year deal, to actually have some flexibility and some and a good, you know, co- uh, contract to lead this this uh, rotation. It, it, it it's good signs to come. Other than the fact that they can't do business right now because there's a lockout. Yeah, their hands are tied right now. Really good question from the 425 on the Mac and Jack's text line. Text in at 206-421-3776. They want to know, does the Robbie Ray signing mean the Mariners might be willing to work a young arm into a deal for someone like Matt Chapman, maybe Jose Ramirez? I don't think it, it, it closes the door at all at, at something like that. I mean, you've got George Kirby and Emerson Hancock, probably the two best arms in your system. There's also Matt Brash as well, who made it to the big leagues, didn't pitch, though. Uh, I look at those three guys, I mean, if you can land a super-duper star, maybe a Jose Ramirez, I would not have an issue parting with Emerson Hancock. Maybe George Kirby I'd have an issue with just because of how big of a leap he took during the 2021 season, but Hancock dealt with some injuries. I think for me that would be the name I would be okay with parting in any sort of trade that would land the Mariners an impact bat or maybe another impact arm. When you look at what the Mariners could do, Taylor, on the trade market, is there any name outside of Julio and Kelnick and maybe even Noel V. Marte that you would say, no, pause off this guy. I want him here in Seattle for the long term. 
God, I mean, the answer should be no, right? If you want to be competitive, there's some of those arms down there. You know you have some guys at that top end, right, that will be here soon. But you're, I, I think you're right. The, the, the Emerson Hancocks, the George Kirbys, I'm more comfortable with that having less information. But, man, it just feels like it, I want to hold on to some of these pieces. They've been doing it right, and they've been rebuilding, and they've been hitting on some of these prospects. So let's see maybe some more maturing. But if you have the chance to go out there and get one of those names, like you mentioned there, Curtis, a, a name that you know people know around the league and around the MLB, uh, you, you got to at least pick up the phone and, and consider it, um, minus all the guys you named. If you even mention Julio, I'm hanging up faster than Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> it will be over. So don't even mention his. Keep his name out your mouth, GMs. Keep it out your mouth. <laughs> I like that. Uh, also coming up in this uh, hour, we've got, or actually coming up in the show today, we'll get you a scoreboard of the college football action going on right now and look ahead to some of the other conference championship games that comes your way in about 15 minutes in addition to the big three. But up next, baseball is hit the pause button. The owners have locked out the players. How different will the game look once this CBA gets negotiated? We'll talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It was long anticipated, and when it happened late Wednesday night, it still was disappointing to hear that Major League Baseball owners have chosen to lock out the players as the CBA expired midnight Eastern time on Wednesday. If you go to MajorLeagueBaseball.com right now, it is a ghost town. There is nothing on that website uh, that would entice you to stick around. I mean, there's just nothing there. They they have blanked out all the players' pictures. Yeah, the names of the players are on uh, the rosters, but there's nothing on that website or, or on any of the team websites that talk about active players. It is the most bizarre thing to see, Taylor. Uh, and you wonder if the relationship between the Players Union and Major League Baseball is going to thaw out at any point over the next couple of months as spring training usually pitchers and catchers report in the middle of February, which would be about two months from now. But it doesn't sound like negotiations are even going to happen for the rest of December. And looking at how contentious it has been, not just leading up to the expiration of the CBA, but also last year, or also in 2020, when they were trying to decide on that 60-game schedule, boy, it got pretty frosty between the two sides. How confident are you right now that this CBA is going to get done by the time pitchers and catchers are scheduled to report in mid-February? Oh, boy, i not not confident. It, 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 I'm worried about this. Like you nailed it right there, Curtis, that back when we had the, the COVID impacted season, the writing was on the wall in neon paint. It was as bright as day that this was coming. The two sides back then couldn't agree. We had a seven minute meeting, which is just, <laughs> I know a lot of people listening right now have been in a, a meeting in their life 
imagine that meeting only going seven minutes and the feeling that you would have walking out of there. Now, sometimes you'd be happy if it's a bad meeting, but this one, I just can't imagine the two of them leaving after that amount of time being like, yep, this is going to be settled soon. And I don't think it will. Like you said, Curtis, it's going to bleed definitely over into January of next year. And then just how long it takes to actually negotiate. Let's say they do come back Jan one. It's still going to take some time to negotiate this whole new thing because there's a lot that needs to be decided upon and written into the new CBA. So a lot of that sort of legal mediation is going to take place. And then you're at the end of January. By the time you could potentially sign that you're looking at maybe two weeks before before pitchers and catchers are reporting, you're talking about a, a free agency freak out, not a frenzy. It's going to be a mad chaos. And if there's a spending floor, which I'd love to ask you about here, Curtis, if there's a floor for some of these teams on what they need to spend, what could that mean for some of these other players who are getting contracts? Will they be overpaid? So, Curtis, what do you think? Do you think that this is going to get agreed upon anytime soon or do you think things are going to bleed out into the season too yeah i i just i don't I, I think i'm with you there taylor i don't see it happening anytime before february i think these two sides have dug their heels in they're not willing to budge on certain concessions uh i think the players union obviously wants uh assurances that these owners will not tank that these owners will not uh you know essentially collude in player salaries and say, you know, we don't want to play or we don't want to pay this kind of player X amount of dollars, even though they have earned it and the rules allow them to make that kind of money. Uh, I don't think players want shorter contracts like you see in the NBA where you can't sign more than a five-year deal. Um, and you bring up the salary ca- or the salary floor I have a hard time seeing that implemented for the 2022 season just because teams would have to spend an exorbitant amount of money on guys that are not necessarily the best available players. I think heading into the 2023 season, there there might be a one-year gap before the salary floor gets put into place because you look at guys that haven't signed, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Chris Bryant, uh, I bet they're rooting for a salary floor going into the 2022 season because then you're going to have teams like Oakland and Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh and and Cleveland and Kansas City and and all those teams, Miami, being forced to spend and being forced to uh, actually compete year in and year out, which is not something that those teams necessarily have uh, prioritized over the years. I think that could definitely help in terms of competition. I think a universal DH is something that needs to happen. Um, and also what needs to happen is, is teams not manipulating the service clocks anymore. You want to get the best players in baseball up as quickly as possible. Uh, enough with this, keeping guys down for an extra month an extra four weeks in order to gain an, another year of service time. That doesn't sit well with anybody, but look, the, the owners are like this, this helps us to keep a longer sustained winner out there. Why would we want to budge on that? It just, it seems to me like the players association in the 2016 CBA negotiations. I don't think they won that round. I think the owners did. 
And now the players are, are determined to never let that happen again the way they succeeded in 94, the way they've succeeded uh, for a long time now. The Major League Baseball Players Association has always been known as one of the strongest unions, not just in professional sports, but in America. And if they don't win these negotiations, I mean, boy, it's going to be a really, really tough go of it for some of these guys to uh, you know, go back to playing and, and pretend as though everything's okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's messy, and unfortunately, the the people who lose the most are the fans. We lose out in getting to see some of these players, getting to experience some of these spring training games. Ho- hopefully, it doesn't impact that, but you know, those are the consequences, and it's most of the time the burden falls onto the fans, which is so unfair in this whole situation because they're the ones who stand by the players and the team through thick and thin a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, I, I feel for every baseball fan, um, I know that it's easy to make jokes about Major League Baseball and some of the archaic things. And Curtis, when you were talking about MLB.com being a ghost town, I was going to be like, oh, did they did they update or what, what happened? What's different from uh, a few months ago on MLB.com? But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, it is really unfortunate that, again, we're, as fans, stuck in the middle of this battle between millionaires and billionaires and we're going to lose out on some of the things we enjoy as fans. But you're, you feel for the lot of these players who have been manipulated by the system. And we know a few of them by name. We've, we've seen, you know, the whole Chris Bryant situation and what, the, what happened after that. So it's, it's time for a sort of a, a readjustment in the league to help it be more sustainable and a little bit more successful going forward. You mentioned the fans losing out on on just how exciting this upcoming baseball season could possibly be here, or at least the excitement of just preparing for a baseball season. The last week of action that we saw leading up to the expiration of the CBA, that has been some of the most fun hot stove chatter that we have ever had in, what, 20 years? Like, that yeah. last week, that flurry of moves leading up to Wednesday night's deadline. And, I mean, just the excitement of signing Robbie Ray, seeing Marcus Semien and Corey Seager get signed. You saw so many big names come off the board. I mean, who was not having the time of their lives just refreshing Twitter those days leading up to then? Major League Baseball, choose. Or, I mean, they could not have timed this out any worse because they had so much interest and so much, you know, so many eyes watching their product in an off season where, especially here in Seattle, where normally when the baseball off season hits, it's Seahawks season. But this year with the Seahawks being what they are. So there's been a lot of interest in Mariners off season. There's been a lot of interest in what they are doing. They go out and sign Robbie Ray that adds to the interest and adds to the excitement. And then just a couple days later, the lights go off, the doors are locked, everybody goes their separate ways, and, and there is no resolution in sight. It's brutal. It's brutal being a baseball fan, watching them actually have something good going for them, and just as it always is with baseball, they can't get out of their own way. Yep, and uh, like you said, that that's the perfect statement right there. Like most things, baseball can't get out of its own way. And yeah, again, to 
the month of November, I think it was the most expensive month baseball had ever. Like they had spent the most money in free agency in a single month. That was it. You just saw sort of the excitement around the end of the World Series and some of the characters that were playing in that. It it, it felt like baseball was trending in this great direction, and now it it feels like it's hung up for no reason other than the owners' stubbornness. And not trying to, you know, make it a little bit more fair on the players. I'm sure a lot of fans land on that way, but uh, usually the owners are taking advantage of the players, and that's why these things happen. Coming up in the next hour, we will get you a scoreboard of the early action college football, a game between Baylor and Oklahoma State for the Big 12 title going on right now, getting tighter after Baylor got off to a big start today. And then also we'll get you a big three of some of the biggest stories in the national sports scene, including that college football carousel going nuts this week especially in Notre Dame, LSU, USC. We'll unpack all of that coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday.